Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. So sorry it's so late. How many drinks have you had? Just a few. Liar. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's the truth. I just finished it. Okay. So if it sounds like I rushed the ending. <laughs> you probably did. It's because I did. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We make lamb. We make lamb. Did you make dad some chocolates? Not yet. Oh, I thought you were going to do that tonight. I made Joe some chocolates. Huh. I have more time to make daddy's chocolates. Right. So I made Joe's first. And then right. you said, let's record. And I was like, okay. So then, yeah. depending on how tired I am when we're done, yeah. I'll either make his tonight or in the morning. Oh, no, no. Nope. I'll be watching some good old-fashioned friends when we're done. That way I don't, I don't have nightmares when I go to sleep. You have to watch Friends to not have nightmares? Well, it could really be anything. Oh. Friends is just first on my list. That's such a good show. Oh, Such a good show. It is really good. And the reunion was awesome. Totally worth the wait. Agreed. All these years. Alright, so we're going to record an episode of Crime Shots. I'm ready. I'm ready to record an episode of Crime Shots. <laughs> well, apparently our fan is too. <laughs> <laughs> We have more than one. I know. We've been contacted by a few people, actually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're like, what's going on? Where is the next episode? What? <laughs> and we took we a break. Have, yeah, we had a little hiatus, but... Uh, hiatus. <laughs> hi, hi ho. Hi ho. Hi ho. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To work we go. <laughs> but we are back. We had a... You know, we had to take care of work. And uh, we had to take care of kids. They they finished school. So. Mm -hmm. It was end of the year stuff and all kinds of things. Uh, now we're moving forward. We, oh, we did vacation. Mm -hmm. We did family vacation with everyone. We did family vacation. So much fun. Mm -hmm. I had fun. Yeah. My personal favorite is the food, obviously. <laughs> the food was good. The food was good. It always is at the coast. Well, the burgers from that little place that you recommended was amazing. Those are great. I didn't, I didn't recommend that. Joe's friend recommended that. Oh. Thanks, Joe's friend. Those are awesome. Thanks, Joe's friend. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Uh, and now we're here. So, you guys are welcome. <laughs> and I don't know if you have checked our stats lately. Mm -mm. I had not, you know, because we were on yeah. Hiotis. Right. And we have a new country. Ooh. I've, what's a new country? Listen. I'm not familiar with all the countries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I don't even know if I would if I'm saying this properly. Maybe I shouldn't say it if I'm I don't know how to say it. It says United Arab Emirates. Em Emirates? I don't know. Emirates, right? Yeah. I don't know. But it's on there. One percent. Wow. So thank you to you. <laughs> I don't know why the whole Real Man of Genius song played in my head just now. Like, <laughs> Thanks, oh, dear. you listening to Podcast Guy. 
Real men of genius. You know what? Talking about stats, I think the last time I checked, we had, I don't want to say it was, it was close to 10% of our listeners were not from the United States. Oh, yeah. We are, so right, I'm looking at it right now. And United States is only 90%. 91%. What is that? You know who it is. Who is it? It's Canadians. It's Canadians. <laughs> and you know why? Why? Because I think we talk funny. Oh. We do talk funny. They're, you know, they um, probably sit around drinking like we do. And they're like, listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. She doesn't know how to say those. She doesn't know how to say those. <laughs> she words. doesn't. Yes. Stupid Americans. God, I, I get it. Dumb rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We're totally not rednecks. Anyway, so welcome to Crime Shots. And I'm Nikki. And that is us. <laughs> so, 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 Bree, tell me, what have you researched for our episode today? Well, Nikki, I'm so glad you asked. It's <laughs> a good way to set it up. I appreciate that. We should do that more often in the future. <laughs> so, uh, this is one that I've never heard of. Okay. It's, it surprised me because there's actually a book about it. I love to read books. Mm-hmm. But there, uh, there's also several podcasts about it. Uh, obviously, I'm sort of into podcasts. A mm-hmm. little bit. Oh, we both are. A little bit. But this is a new one for me. So, located in Central Texas in Waco. Ooh, Waco. Okay. So, for people who don't know, Waco's about 100 miles south of Dallas. We have talked about Waco before. Yes. We talked about Waco before. We were talking about, you know, mm-hmm. Chip and Joanna Gaines mm-hmm. and the Magnolia Markets mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. We did the episode about the Baptist preacher who murdered his wife. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, Chip and Joanna, and then we have the Waco Siege, which we haven't done yet. Oh. Mm-hmm. But in 1982, Waco was known for a whole different event. Mm. Let's hear it. Happened in uh, Spiegelville Park. Okay. On Lake Waco. Is that weird that I just thought of Lord of the Rings? What's his name? Is it Smeagol? Smeagol. I have never seen Lord of the Rings. Okay. I I don't. Uh, me either. Me either. I've never seen that either. I just. Nikki, remember... stop lying. You know you love the hobbits. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Spiegelville. I love her. Spiegelville um, Park. But anyway, Spiegelville Park is on Lake Waco. Okay. So this is the Lake Waco murders. Hmm. Have you heard of the Lake Waco murders? No. Oh, this is, that's so exciting. I totally thought you'd be like, yeah, I know. I know, Bray. <sighs> Just go ahead and tell me anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to. Mm-hmm. In 2020, the mm-hmm. in the year 2020, the Waco police chief, Frank Ginch, yeah, says they had 17 homicide cases. 17. Mm-hmm. As of 2020. Okay. So. Like unsolved cases or like. all together. 17 murders? Homicide cases, yeah. Total. Uh-huh. That doesn't seem like a lot. It's not. But, you know, Waco's not super huge. 
I mean, no, but it's... Okay, go ahead. I tell you this because this number is actually significantly higher than previous years. Oh, okay. Waco hasn't had a count that high since the late 80s. By the summer of 1982, Waco had already had more than 12 homicides. Mm. And that's just by the summer. We're sitting here talking of like 17 in an entire year. Doesn't seem like a, a lot. Right. But that's kind of their standard, I guess. But they had already had 12 before the summer of 1982. On July 12th of 1982, what? I'm going to look this up. What are you I'm curious. Up? I'm curious what the population is. So the Waco, so the population of Waco is like a little over 130,000. I was just curious because that it just seems like a low number. Like for Waco? For Waco. You think that's a yeah. low number for Waco? I mean, I think so, right? You know, I have a question. Maybe not. Maybe Waco. Wait, that's a lot smaller because if you look at like Dallas, well, Dallas has I've got a over a million i would think and so that makes more sense i guess but go ahead well like i said waco is a little bit smaller but do they include like college kids as residents i don't know because waco is a location of baylor university yeah i don't know let's not focus on the numbers we're not good with that let's continue brie we're not good with numbers (laughs) or words just the murders all right on July 12, 1982, two teenage girls, Jill and Ray Lynn, head to Waco. Jill Montgomery was born April 9th, 1965 in Waxahachie, Ooh. which is like 70-ish miles north of Waco. Waxahachie. Yeah. So by 1982, she's like 17. Mm-hmm. Okay. Raylan Rice was born December 11th, 1964 in New Mexico. Okay. She was also about 17-ish and was living in Waxahachie, okay? Okay. Do you say Waxahachie? No. I mean, I do when I'm joking around. Oh, what do you say? It's Waxahachie. That's how I say it. How do you say it when you're joking around? Waxahachie. Did I just say it like that? I don't know. I don't know. Jill and Raylin are friends, obviously, and they're hanging out. Uh, Jill has a job at the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame and Museum in Waco. So, they're often in Waco. Okay. Uh, the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame and Museum is self-explanatory. Yeah. It's a historical center for the Texas Rangers Law Enforcement Agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jill's been working as a tour guide there for the, I don't know, museum season? I have no idea. Okay. Like, just for the time. Anyway, so they're driving to Waco because Jill's going to go pick up her paycheck. Mm-hmm. And Raylan decided to ride along with her. Okay. After they pick up the paycheck, they're going to go see some friends. So one of the friends the girls decided to go see and go hang out with was Kenneth Franks. Okay. Kenneth was born February 16th, 1964. So he's just about a year older than them. Mm-hmm. But he's their friend. Okay. Because Kenneth is from Waco and the girls are from Waxahachie, mm-hmm. I was curious how they were affiliated with each other. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Turns out, Kenneth was part of the Methodist Children's Home. Okay. Uh, newspapers refer to it as, like, a boarding school, and it may have been back then. The only thing I can find on it now is what, like, the website says, and they refer to it as the Methodist Children's Home. Mm-hmm. But it's a place that offers, like, several different programs for what they call troubled kids. 
I'm not really a fan of how they use the phrase troubled kids. Because sometimes they're not troubled so much as they're just abandoned. Okay. Anyway, uh, it's an out- outreach program. It aids in the development of kids. According to their website, they're highly involved with the foster care system. Mm-hmm. Anyway, turns out Jill had also attended the children's home, which is where she met Kenneth. Are we, are we together so far? Yep. All right. They'd remain friends, and the girls decided they're going to go hang out with Kenneth. So Jill, Raylin, and Kenneth made plans to go to the lake, specifically Cohen Park. Cohen Park. Co, is it Cohen? No, I don't know. That's what you said. K-O-E-H-N-E. Cohen. That's how I would say it, yeah. Okay, Cohen Park. Uh, I had to draw it out because I I physically drew out a map of where all the different parks are located along Lake Waco. Mm -hmm. They don't have that on Google Images. Oh, sad day. And when it's not on Google Images, I have to result to, like, you know, old style. Like, I had to pull out the quill. (laughs) So, I draw... Drew it out. At the north end of the lake is Flat Rock Park. Then, as the lake trails south, there's parks along both sides. What I didn't know was that Lake Waco is a man-made lake. Mm-hmm. Original built in, originally built in the 20s. Did you know that? Mm-mm. It covers 79,000 acres of water and is currently monitored by the Army Corps of Engineers. Mm, okay. The park that the three told Kenneth's father that they were headed to was Cohen Park. This is on the southeast side of the lake. So it's got Bosque Park to the north of it and Midway Park to the south of it. I thought you said Flat Rock was to the north. Flat Rock is at the very north part of the lake. Okay. And then as you go down the sides, okay, Mm -hmm. you're going to hit Bosque Park, then Cohen, and then Midway Park. Is even further south. That's okay. on one side of the lake. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Directly across the lake from Cohen Park is Spiegelville Park. Okay. And Twin Bridges is just south of that on the other side of the lake. These three are headed to Cohen Park. Okay. So, the three drive over to the lake in Raylan's Ford Pinto. There's plenty of other teenagers there. I'm, I mean, I remember... Going to the lake when I was a kid. Everybody's just hanging out. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what they do. There's probably some drinking involved. You know, probably some other illegal activities. And Texas, everything's illegal. No. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure it wasn't just 17-year-olds hanging no, no, out. I was, I was I was, being facetious. Oh, facetious. That is sarcastic. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Don't talk to you like I'm a dog. <laughs> You're going to give me the boots for being a good little girl. Anyway, if the shoe fits. Ouch. So they're heading to Cohen Park. So they go and they hang out. Whatever. The next day, two fishermen are out on the lake by Spiegelville Park and stumble upon what they think is a mannequin. It's never a mannequin. (laughs) It's, It's never a mannequin. Who says that? I don't want to talk about who says it because... This is the Crime Shots podcast. (laughs) You're right. Continue. (laughs) But, word from the wise. It's never a mannequin. They get closer and realize it's a person. But, at this point, they're thinking it's a drunken teenager that has passed out. Oh. When they get closer, because, you know, they're going to try to help, they notice that the person is 
gagged and their hands are tied behind their back. And there's blood everywhere. So the fishermen are like, it's probably not a mannequin. So they contact the Waco Police Department. Okay. So one of the first ranking responders on the scene was Sergeant Truman Simmons. If you look him up, there's a lot. There's a lot on that guy. Okay? But he's not the focus of our story. <laughs> Truman, he's been with the Waco Police Department since 1965. And as I mentioned earlier, there's already been many homicides this particular year. So he's well seasoned in his 17-ish years of service, right? Right. Then Detective Ra- Ramon Salinas uh, was already on scene, prepared to help Truman identify the victim. What I didn't tell you is that earlier that morning, before the fishermen found the mannequin, or what they thought was a mannequin, Kenneth Franks had been reported missing by his family. Ooh. So when Truman and Detective Ramon get called out to the lake and they come up on this body, uh, it's clear to them that it's Kenneth. Mm. The problem they're having now is that when Kenneth left his house the night before... He left with Jill and Ray Lynn. Right. Um, So now they have not one missing person, but two. One's been found. They have two completely new missing people. Okay. Truman decides that it's going to be best to form a search party of the area and try to either locate the girls or evidence of any nature that can help with the Kenneth's case, right? That's going to be an ordeal with that big lake. Yeah. Turns out not so much. Oh. Uh, just 75 feet away, mm. they find Raylan. Mm. And then just a few feet away from her, they <gasps> find Jill. All three victims had been stabbed multiple times, and the two girls were naked and had appeared to have been raped. Mm-hmm. What was strange is that Raylan's car, or her Ford Pinto, was still at Cohen Park. Ooh. In fact... There was no evidence of how or when they left that park and got to the other side of the lake. Mm. Obviously, I'm researching this case, and I try to find different outlets that can corroborate stories, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of just relying on one person's account. So that's what I did in this case. Uh, Everything I came across from Wikipedia to Texas Monthly to... Murderpedia says that the teenagers went to the lake and were found the next day and authorities begin their investigation, right? Mm-hmm. So, And that's how I presented it. However, I came across a random blog. If you want to find this blog, it's at hogsatemysister.com. <laughs> it's written by a Waco police reporter that worked on the case with the username Ham. That's all it says is Ham. Mm-hmm. So, he writes a short article and implicates that the the teenagers were missing for several days and the whole town had been looking for them before they were found. Oh. What really throws me for a loop is the phone call. What phone call? (laughs) He explains that Kenneth's father had called the station at some point, drunk as a skunk, Mm. saying that he felt like something really bad had happened to the kids. Okay. (laughs) To me, this just stands out. Red flag! Uh, this, this is unusual. Yes. Okay. This is sus. Okay. Suspect. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then, Ham says that he never told police 
about the phone call from Kenna's father. Why? It doesn't say. He just says how he always regrets not having told them about the phone call. Yeah, I would think so. Anyway, that was a completely side note, completely sidetracked. That is the only place that I was, that I found something different than, like, as far as, like, the turn of events Mm -hmm. leading up to finding their bodies. That's the only thing that I found that was a little different. Okay. Hogsatemysister.com. That's, I don't even know what to say about that. Okay. So, the investigation begins into this brutal triple homicide. Mm -hmm. Lieutenant Marvin Horton uh, with the Waco Police Department, Detective Ramon Salinas, and Mike Nicoletti were all assigned to the case. Almost immediately, the police department starts getting calls about leads. Oh, I think so-and-so did it. Or I saw so-and-so. Or I saw them at the lake. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Most of them end up being just that. That they had seen them or whatever. No one's able to really provide any, like, persons of interest. Right. Leads aren't going very well. They're not going very far. Right. The medical examiner is not really able to provide much more. In total, the three were stabbed 48 times. The girls had, in fact, been raped. Oh, man. But there were, allegedly, there were no fingerprints, DNA, and no murder weapon. Well, this is the 80s. Right. So even if they are able to collect DNA, for example, it would be years into the future before they would be able to actually like See analyze anything. it and really find something. Right. So the case just kind of sits there for a while. But we can talk about how important it is for people to contact law enforcement regarding any information, anything at all. Even if they feel like it's not important or unrelated, it may just lead investigators to more information, right? It's super important. No matter how minimal you think that your information is, it's better than nothing. Yes. And that's exactly what happened in this case. Mm. A girl that also lived at the children's home named Lisa Cater tells investigators that she knows a guy. (laughs) I know a guy. (laughs) That doesn't like Kenneth. Okay. She just, she just calls him up. She's like, hey, uh, I know a guy that I don't like him, basically. <laughs> Again, it seems like it doesn't matter and, like, it's it, it's pointless information. Well, listen to what happens, okay? Okay. So Lisa says that this guy, Munir Deeb, I apologize if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, because unless it's John, Jill, or Bob, I'm going to say it's going to be wrong. Says that uh, he just, she says she gets, like, a, a super... Like, he gets super angry sometimes. Uh, anytime someone even mentions Kenneth around him, mm. he just gets super angry. Oh. So, Munir just so happens to run the convenience store across the street from the children's home. Oh. Um, I don't think this convenience store is there anymore. Or maybe the name has changed. The only thing I could see on Mr. Google Maps was a grocery store, an electronic store, and a thrift store. Okay. So any of those could have been the convenience store? I don't know. I don't know. There was a convenience store across the street at one point. It could still be there now. I don't know. Moonier does not run it anymore, though. Okay. Just letting you know. <laughs> okay. So investigators decide they're going to look into this guy and the relationship between him and Kenneth. They find out that apparently Kenneth was friends with a girl named Gail Kelly. Munir had a crush on her. (laughs) Okay. And I guess that is how their animosity towards each other started. Investigators decide, you know what? We want to talk to Gail. So Gail is brought in for questioning. 
and that's done by Sergeant Truman. She wasn't able to provide a whole lot of information other than the fact, like, Sergeant Truman noticed Gail and Jill kind of looked alike. Okay. To the point where he asked if they were related. Oh, okay. Um, and so that was kind of it with her. Yeah. There's kind of a lot that happens in the next few days after this. Uh, Munir, the convenience store owner, uh, he's running his mouth saying that he is glad Kenneth is dead. Oh. And making jokes. Never do that. Right. And making jokes that he did it. He killed him. (gasps) Was he joking though? Funny ha ha. So this is not a smart move because, you know, authorities are already looking at him and they were just trying to get a reason to pull him in. And rumors also start going around that Munir's about to leave the country. Oh. Fleeing something, are we? Well, hang on. This is an unusual. Okay. Because he is actually from Jordan. Okay. Investigators panic, and they're like, we gotta get we gotta get this guy before he goes goes home, right? To visit family, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they have him arrested and brought in for questioning. Although several members of the investigative team didn't think this was a good idea, because they didn't actually have any evidence to arrest him. <laughs> but it's the 80s. Yeah, they do what they want. Mm-hmm. And of course, Munir says, well, I didn't do that. In the meantime... They get in touch with Lisa, who originally told them about Munir and his issues with Kenneth. They want to know if there's anything else she can tell them, like if Munir hung out with anybody, had any friends. You know, because people talk, right? My thought process would be that if he knew anything about the murders or was involved in any way, allegedly, I'm not saying he was, I'm just saying, you know, he would have, at the very least, mention it to his friends. Lisa tells investigators that this guy... David Spence hangs out at the store a lot. She's like, yeah, I know him. So investigators look into David. Turns out that David, along with a friend of his, Gilbert Melendez, had just been arrested for sexual assault with a deadly weapon of a, of a minor. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. So investigators are like, yep, that's the guys. That's them. Hmm. However, they don't have no evidence to prove it. And Munir's family has now hired a lawyer who requested a polygraph. And, of course, he passes it. Everything just kind of falls apart. Like, all the things that the investigators are building up, building up, and it just, just falls apart. Yeah. Munir passes polygraph. They had no legitimate reason to hold him, so they have to let him go. The other two, David and Gilbert, they're still locked up for unrelated charges. They didn't have any evidence to charge them with anything else. So they're, they're just stuck. And everybody's just waiting to see what's going to happen. So, strange enough, in this case, having patience is worth it. Patience is a virtue. Apparently, David liked to run his mouth, too. (laughs) There's a lot of running the mouths. Another inmate, Kevin Michael, told investigators that David bragged about killing the three teenagers at the lake in Waco. Now, it would be easy to write this off as a jailhouse snitch trying to get a shorter sentence or something. However, Kevin knew information about the case that hadn't been released to the public. Kevin, the the snitch. The snitch. Yeah, I had a boss. Uh, He had a sign. And I always thought it was so funny he used this word. Because I always use the word snitch. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, it said, no one likes a narc. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I never narked on nobody. (laughs) That's true. Anyway, so Kevin knew some stuff. He knew things like the fact that Kenneth had his hands tied behind his back with his shoelaces. <gasps> Ooh, that's interesting. 
Or the fact that Raylin had a bra tied around one of her legs. Mm. Just little details. Yeah. That only someone involved would have known. Mm-hmm. So if this isn't enough, more inmates started to come forward with conversations that they had with David. Saying that David also bragged to them and said that Munir paid him to kill a woman that had been disrespectful to him, but the three that he killed at the lake, o- at the lake in Waco were the wrong people. <laughs> so, investigators contact the Waco District Attorney, Vic Thiesel, yeah, we're going to call him Vic, to provide the evidence collected. So Vic, uh, Vic was a DA from 1983 to 88. Along with this case, he also handled several homicide cases that would go down in the history books. Uh, Most notably, those involving Henry Lee Lucas. Yeah. Do you know who that is? No. He is the guy that he was arrested and then he claimed over 300 murders. Oh, dang. Okay. Right. Um, So he handled one of his cases or some of his cases. Um, But this would actually be his first case in court. The one I'm talking about now. So that's fun. Alright, Vic looked over the case and a little bit of evidence that investigators had ultimately determined that there was not enough to move forward with anything. Ooh, okay. So, I mean, although they have something, you know, it's just, they, they feel like it's not enough. So the case goes cold. In the meantime, Gilbert is sentenced to seven years on the sexual abuse case. Mm-hmm. David is given 90 years. Dang. So at least for now, they're locked up. They're away, yeah. David continues to claim innocence, even after running his mouth. And he says he had nothing to do with the murders at Lake Waco. Why's he bragging about it? Well, these are just inmates coming forward saying that he's bragging about it, right? At least that's what the investigators are saying. Investigators decide to move on to... Some of the other people they've been interested in involved in this case. Uh, They decide to talk to Gilbert and ask him if he knows anything about David being involved in the murders. Because, you know, they they haven't actually talked to Gilbert about it, right? Gilbert just so happened to have been arrested with David. Yes? Yeah. It didn't really take much of talking to Gilbert. And Gilbert was saying that he knew what happened and he was involved. So, Gilbert says that he and David were riding around, drinking, and they decided to go to Cohen Park. You know, it's where everybody's hanging out. They ran into three teenagers, and David told them, told the teenagers that they had beer and weed back in the car. So, y'all come with me, we'll go back to the car. He says David attacked them, raping and killing Jill first, then Raylin, and then Kenneth. And they took and dumped the bodies across the lake, and they went home. So, these two men got attacked, all three of them. The two men attacked all three of them, yeah. Okay. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying. Right. So, investigators are like, uh, we got it, right? Unfortunately, Gilbert's statement doesn't 100% match up. <laughs> they never do. So, he couldn't describe David's vehicle. Mm-hmm. The timeline didn't match up with when the kids were at the park, like, Based off of all the leads at the beginning, people saying, oh yeah, I spoke to them here. I saw them here at this time. With This is who they were with. Yada, yada, yada. Plus, the fact that Gilbert says he wasn't involved in the murders at all. He was just kind of oh. there. Uh, okay. The case, once again, just kind of sits there with investigators believing that David and Gilbert are that they're, it's their dudes. Right? Yeah. However, they start thinking it, there could be a third person. Oh. Right? 
Okay. Gilbert's little brother, Tony. Tony! Had been brought in for questioning regarding his brother's involvement. When come to find out, he was wanted in corpus for robbery and rape. (laughs) So Tony told law enforcement that he was in... He was working the day of the murders. However, he told inmates... That he was involved in the murders. Why is everybody (laughs) claiming this? I don't understand. I don't know. This was a big deal at the time, apparently. It was like the front page of every newspaper for months. It was like all anybody could talk about for a long time. It was a big deal. We should ask mom about it. She'll tell us it was a big deal. Yes. Finally, investigators catch a little break. So, Homer Campbell, a forensic odontologist was asked to assist i don't know how you pronounce that word odontology do you know what that is uh it's something to do with the uh, teeth or something right okay so then i'm saying it right i mean yeah well that's how <laughs> i say it okay so that's that's what it is it's the study of teeth so they take molds from the suspects and compare those molds with some of the markings found on the bodies hmm. and they get a match Homer says that he is positive the markings on the bodies were made by David Spence. So on November 21st, 1983, a McLennan County grand jury indicted Munir, David, Gilbert, and Tony. All of them. For the murders of Kenneth, Jill, and Raylan. Ooh, wee. (laughs) Ooh, wee. So David goes to trial first. His lawyers were Russ Hunt. He has a major in the humanities from the University of Minnesota, 1964. He's got a major in secondary education from the University of Southern California, 1969. And a law degree from the Baylor University School of Law, 1977. Uh, His areas of practice are criminal defense, Assault, family violence, aggravated assault, conspiracy, domestic violence, drug offenses, DWI, DUI, gun violations, homicide, murder, capital murder, sex offenses, child pornography, theft, and white-collar crimes. Dear God. He specializes in all of it. Yeah. And then his other lawyer was Hayes Fuller, who has a major in political science from Baylor University, 1976. And a law degree from Baylor University School of Law, 1979. And his areas of practice are litigation and alternative dispute resolution. Anyway, basically, these are seasoned people at the time. Not the most seasoned, but just a little dash of spice. They're making the defense that the jailhouse snitch that's claiming conversations are just nothing. Right. And the dental evidence is what they called it, uh, they called it, quote, a travesty of justice, end quote. That is their defense. How can you sit in a room and call that a defense and be like, and we feel confident enough to put this out there in the public? Let everybody know. Right. So while Russ and Hayes are working on David's case, claiming his innocence, Tony takes a plea deal. Tony pleads guilty. He gets life, but he, like, goes into detail about what he did, like, his involvement. He says that he helped his brother and David rape and kill them. He he helped. He does say he helped. He helped, yeah. Okay. That's what he says. So, 
the trials start, and the state is going with the theory that Munir hired the other guys to kill Gale, and they killed the wrong person. Okay. Because Joe looked so much like Gale. That's that's what that's the state's defense. Okay. They're like, here's why we think this happened. I'm gonna be completely honest. I'm not a lawyer. By any You're not means. a lawyer. I'm sorry. I'm not an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never studied law or criminal defense. Nothing. Mm-hmm. With that being said, I feel like this whole case is crap, and both sides are grasping at straws. Okay. I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, the defense is over here trying to call the FBI to get David's case thrown out because they literally had, there's no evidence. And they end up bringing up the fact that two other men could have murdered the kids because one of them moved to California like the day after and was arrested for rape and attempted murder. And another guy was seen coming from the lake covered in blood. Mm. But the judge said that doesn't have any merit in this case and they threw it out. But that's, I mean, that's what the defense is going off of, right? Right. <laughs> that's what they have to work with. The state has unreliable jailhouse snitches and dental records. So, this case is crap. Right. <laughs> okay. So, not to bore everyone with the details of what can only be described as the grasping for straws trial, mm-hmm. uh, David's found guilty and he's sentenced to death. Oh, okay. So, naturally, the other guys hear about what happened in David's trial. So they start making arrangements. In January of 1985, Gilbert decides he wants to make a deal with his brother, like his brother made, Tony. Mm-hmm. You know, so Tony's already, he's been given life because he pled guilty, right? Right. He pleads guilty, Gilbert does, and says he'll testify, he'll even testify against Munir. Ooh. So he gets life. Mm. So that only leaves Munir. So what defense does he have, really? Just a, nothing. Right. I mean, basically, the fact there's no evidence to support anything. That's his defense. No evidence. Ever, oh, did I say evidence? That's what it sounded like to me. That's fine. It's, I probably did. There's Okay, so there's nothing. The state has about the same amount of evidence, which is nothing. <laughs> However, they have now accumulated the testimony of Tony and Gilbert, saying that Munir hired them to kill Gale. Okay? Okay. Munir's found guilty, and he's sentenced to death. Now, keep in mind, all of this has occurred, but this is just for the murder of Jill. They still have to go through the other two. So they're doing them separate. Right. Okay. They go through the same thing with the other cases, ending in the same results. Here's where it actually gets interesting. In February 1986, one of the snitches wrote a letter to David's mom saying they were sorry for lying in court on David. Oh, no. Yeah. Then... David's mom obviously takes the letter, turns it over to the lawyers and the cops, and then she's raped and murdered. <gasps> allegedly by Joe Williams and Calvin Washington. Okay? Okay. They're both convicted and sentenced to life in prison because there was blood found on a shirt in Calvin's home. Ah, okay. However, there were rumors that her house was broken into after the investigation, and... It looked like somebody was, like, looking, like, snooping through her papers. Okay. Anyway, so Joe and Calvin, they both fight their innocence. Joe is actually released in 1993, and his charges are dismissed. Wow. So Calvin's still trying to prove his innocence, and he requests that the shirt, his shirt, be tested for DNA. Oh. Which 
was not a match for David's mom. So the whole case that they built and convicted these people of, that because he had a bloody shirt in his house that they couldn't test for DNA at the time, ended up testing it, and it's not even what they thought it was. They went ahead and tested semen found on her body and were able to rule out both guys (laughs) that they had originally convicted. Oh, no. So Calvin was actually pardoned and got like a $374,000 compensation. I'm sure. From governor. Then the semen ended up testing positive for a guy named Benny Carroll who had died in 1990. So like after they were sentenced and stuff, they were in prison. This guy dies and it's not until years later they get out and find out that the guy who died. Anyway, back to our original case. (laughs) In June of 1991... The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals overturned Munir's conviction on the grounds that some of the testimony was hearsay and inadmissible. Go like this. Ooh. Ooh. Thank you. He went on trial again in January of 1993 and was acquitted. The glove didn't fit. Wow. (laughs) Must quit. (laughs) However, the appeals process did not go as well for David. He was executed. On April 3rd, 1997. And his last statement said, quote, First of all, I want to under I want you to understand I speak the truth when I say I didn't kill your kids. Honestly, I haven't killed anyone. I wish you could get the rage from your hearts and you could see the truth and get rid of the hatred. End quote. Later, DNA testing of hair follicles that were that had originally been found on the bodies determined that they did not belong to the Melendez brothers, Tony and Gilbert. And they did not belong to David Spence. So the brothers recanted their statements. However, Gilbert died in prison in 1998 of HIV. And Tony died in 2017 after being on hospice. Wow. And uh, in case you were wondering about Munir... Uh, he actually died six years after his release from cancer. Oh, dang. That's weird. Some people believe that an innocent man was executed. Some people believe that three murderers were released. Or one murderer and whatever. So, I don't know. I think, uh, I think they, I mean, even though all these people have passed on, I feel like they should run the hair follicles against stuff in the system. Just to see if anything comes up, my opinion. I mean, something like that, I would think. Yeah, but I guess in in a situation like this, it's like, do they want to waste time and state money and stuff like that on running these tests or trying to run other tests that could possibly, you know, save lives now, I guess. I went really deep with that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, so I don't know. What do you think happened? I mean... I have a hard time believing that Tony, because you were saying that Tony confessed and said, this is what happened, this is how I was involved, Mm -hmm. and took the plea deal. Right. And I find it hard to believe that he would do all that Mm -hmm. if it wasn't true. Well, I think they, I think what happened is they were scared, you know, because they get assigned, you know, whatever lawyer, and the lawyers are automatically going to try to get somebody to plead just so they don't have to deal with going to court. Yeah. Especially if they're not getting paid for it. Like, not by the 
the accused. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know either. And I think... I can't believe I haven't heard this before. Yeah. I think what's crazy is it could... There were so many confessions and so much baloney, but, but you... You don't know if there were actual confessions or not because they never said that they ran their mouth in prison. They said that they didn't do it. They maintained it from the very beginning that they didn't do it. Yeah. And let's be honest. A jailhouse snitch is exactly that. True. They're like the least honest. Yeah. It's in the name. Jailhouse snitch. But at the same time, I like I, get, I, like I called it, it's like the grasping for straws trial. And I feel like investigators were grasping at straws to try to get some sort of a conviction. Right. On somebody. So, I mean, we've seen it in movies a thousand times where they, they'll get a jailhouse snitch. I'll get such and such amount of time. Cut off your sentence if you go to court and say that this and this and this. You know? I don't know. I don't know. It is plausible that they could have done it. Well, yeah. I mean, at this point, anything's possible. I mean, there's obviously a lot more to this story that I didn't talk about because I felt like it was irrelevant. But, like, little things like uh, the Gale girl Mm -hmm. that Moonier had a crush on. Yeah. Actually worked for him at the convenience store. Oh. And before the murders, he had, like, just within a few weeks, I guess, had uh, taken out a life insurance policy on her. Uh, Okay. What? That's just weird. Well, so I started to include that, but then I found out that it was, like, a standard thing that an owner would take out on an employee, like an accidental, like, if something happened to him at work. Mm, Okay. Like, it would cover work-related. Gotcha. Something. You know what I mean? Workers' comp type. Right. Okay. So, I felt like, okay, well, that's not relevant. Yeah. That's just, that's just them grasping at straws again. And then I thought, well, maybe there's something to these two guys that the defense is saying could have possibly been involved. The one that moved away the next day and the one that they saw coming back from the lake covered in blood. But I've seen people covered in blood come back from the lake. If they go fishing... Well, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say they're covered in blood when they go fishing. I think the only thing that kind of leans way more towards one side than the other as not having enough evidence to move forward with this whole thing mm-hmm. was the fact that they did f- process hair follicles at the scene that did not belong to any of the guys that they convicted. See, that's weird. That's what's strange to me. However, they're at a lake. There's so many people that they were hanging out with. True. Just before that, I mean, my hair sheds like a dog. God forbid I'm ever in the same county as something like this, because my hair will end up on on everything. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's not that... uh, I'm just saying it's not that difficult for random hair follicles to end up on on a person. Right. I mean, I just saw you today. I probably have your hair on me. Probably. Somewhere on my shirt. You're not dead, though. I'm not. But if I do, you know, not yet. I already have the list. (laughs) I have the if I'm dead thing. Don't any don't let anybody tell you (laughs) that some kind of accident happened. Uh, -uh. you know who to look at. You have the list. (laughs) I'm just kidding. There's not a list. I don't know what happened. I mean, oh, I don't know. I'm gonna listen. I withdraw my previous statement. I do know what happened. I just don't know who did it. Right. So, I was 100% certain that there was going to be some kind of crazy thing between Munir and Kenneth. Yeah. 
Like, I was expecting there to have been a brawl at some right. point that somebody had documentation of. But no. So, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Weird. Yeah. So, um, so glad we're back. We're that was back! A, that, was a, that was a good we're back episode when you had not heard. I like it when you don't hear them. Yeah, that's good. And, uh... You know we're gonna we're gonna stay back, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We'll stay back. We'll stay back. Yeah, it'll be fine. We'll stay back. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I mean, it's looking good. I'm feeling good about it now. We will move forward. I like our schedule with our best of our ability. Yeah, we're a hoot and a half. Keep coming back for more. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we're gonna end this episode. <laughs> And on to the next. Here we go.